You stupid bitch. Yeah, you're a stupid bitch. You stupid bitch. Welcome to the season five premiere of Stupid Bitches Say What? The Aussie podcast about everything and nothing, but always with wine and a large side of banter. Plus. This week is true crime and we're bringing it back home to Australia. Listen in as Sean recounts the five-year murder spree of Eric Edgar Cook, who terrorised the capital city of Western Australia, Perth, in the late 50s and early 60s. I think I know this one. Well, I cover the grisly details of murderer Seth Gonzalez, the boy who killed his family in 2001. But why? Listen in to find out, plus. Oh, isn't it good to be back? Great to be back. I've been very excited. It's been a crazy week full of so much shit this week. And still, I was like, <laughs> I can't wait. I know. It's actually funny. To give though. up five hours. <laughs> <laughs> of my life every Friday from here on out. It's actually been the longest hiatus we've had between season and breaks. Oh, is it really? I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, Two, four yeah, months. It has been a little while. Two, four months. Yeah. Which has been Christmas, nice, so. of course. And we had our overseas trip. All that jazz. And all that jazz. It's actually nice having a having a hobby, though. I was thinking about that today. Like someone said to me, what are you doing this weekend? And instead of just saying, oh, I'm just, you know, catching up with friends, getting pissed, going to the pub, getting pissed, playing the pokies <laughs> whilst getting pissed, I can actually say a hobby that I have. I'm podcasting tonight. Well, it's funny that you say that because, as you know, I've started a new job um, mm. and I had to, it was one of my my manager's um, birthdays today, so I took one of the other team leaders and said, come on, let's go get him a cake. So we went and got a bunch of cakes and stuff like that and she said, you know, small talking in the car on the way, what are you doing this weekend? Um, and I said to her, well, you're going to piss yourself laughing <laughs> when I tell you. So first of all, tonight I'm recording a double podcast because I I you know, do a podcast. I haven't told you this yet. Also on Saturday, I'm, I've got a sneak prep, a sneak peek to a movie that I'm in. You I'm not do. a star or anything. It's an independent <laughs> film and I just have a bit part, but you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like the little party for the cast and crew. And she was just like looking at me going, I was like, don't worry. I'm not like some artsy fartsy <laughs> want to be this superstar actress or anything. Liar. <laughs> I was like, you know, I just have a few hobbies. Yeah. She was just pissing herself laughing and she's like, do you know what? I'm not even that surprised because <laughs> you are such a mental case. <laughs> well, it's funny you said that because um, we've got a new guy that started it out in our office and he was the one I was telling about the podcast. And I also said to him as well, oh, and then on Saturday, my partner, he's in a, um, a short film. It's just, you know, a friend's hobby thing where I'd rather doing. So we're doing a preview of that too. And he was just sort of looking at me like, what the fuck? And I'm like, so what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to the Laneway Music Festival. I'm like, don't oh, worry. Fuck, the Laneway's on this week. Fuck that in this motherfucking heat. I know, right. Well, his other option was going to a Bucks on Stradbroke going camping. I'm like, fuck that in this heat. Yeah, fuck, fuck sleeping. Could you imagine waking up hungover? Are they camping or are they actually staying? They're probably staying camping. in the aren't they? Oh, they can't. <laughs> yeah. I know you'd be boiling in your own sweat. <laughs> I came home to Tyler making dinner tonight, right? So um, he decided to make, oh, I made the most gorgeous dinner. It was chicken schnitzel burgers. But um, 
he was pouring. It was pouring off him. Like it was yeah. like he had a tap from somewhere just because he was because the oven was on, the air fryer yeah. was on, the like stoves on. And our kitchen is well, it's not a small kitchen, but you know, like when you've got heat coming at you from all sides, all directions. So he's in his undies there. His undies are all like you know damp at the top, and I'm like, <laughs> oh babe, you poor bugger. Get a towel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, it was horrible. I walked out this morning to catch the bus and my hand just automatically started glistening with sweat. My hand. I was like, what's going on? I hate this mugginess. Oh, it's disgusting. I hate it so much. It's enough to make a person want to leave Brisbane altogether. I know. Hello, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you drinking, you stupid bitch? Oh, we've digressed a little bit already, haven't we? Okay, well, it's so... been a while. Uh, tonight I'm drinking a little white Savvy B from 2022. Oh. So not yet into the 2023 Wine worm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's from my most recent delivery that I got yesterday from Naked Wines. Um, Naked. it's called Forever Sunday. It's from Victoria. Sunday Vinco it is. It's empty because I drank most of it last night. Oh, very good. Um, it so. It was the Thursday I- after all. It was a Thursday and I've had a very full on week with work. So I needed to um, unwind. I also had about five beers on Wednesday night too. Oh, did you? Yes. Once I got home from work. It's like, bear me. It's too yeah. hot. I need hydration. I know. I know, right? <laughs> and Sean Benner Hipkins, what are you drinking this evening? Well, I am drinking. It's also empty, but that's because I've poured it into my decanter. Decanter. It is Chateau Coco. Old Vine Grenache. Oh, that's naked, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I thought it was actually... It's 100% naked. I oh, know okay. them now. I know she's, them all. She's very um, fluent in speaking naked wine. Yeah, this, this Sunday Vin Co., this is a new range that they've got. I haven't seen this before. Oh, okay. Um, but all the other wines that I got in my 18-pack <laughs> was um, ones that I'd had before. There was no newbies for me, except for a, a cheeky little Prosecco, actually, that I had oh, before. Mm. This doesn't have a year on it, but it does what? say... It does say... The wine is elegant with lifted aromas of dark fruits and cherry flavours and juicy fruits and hints of licorice and black pepper on the palate, which sounds fucking complicated to me. Do you find it's a little warm to drink a red, though? I find that I struggle to drink red in the summer. No, no, I don't. I never, I never have that problem. To but when I get to, to winter, all I, I just crave red in the winter. I love red in the winter. Red is nice in the wed is nice in the winter. Wed. <laughs> wed a wed nice. one. A wed, a wed one. It's the wed wine for me. Thank you. <laughs> so, how has your last two months been? Look, where do I even begin? I was trying, I was, you know, I was having a bit of a moment like you where I thought, what am I going to talk about tonight? And I've, I, I can't really think of anything super exciting. I think, I mean, obviously Christmas, but I feel like that's so far away now. Um, it is, it is a one. You know, have you got any New Year's resolutions? Oh, okay. I was, you know, I was actually just thinking that's what I'll talk about. Well, I had a whole bunch of New Year's resolutions. How are they going? Um, first one was to reduce the amount of alcohol that I drink. Uh, yes. That didn't last. I think the, the third day of my new job, um, I came home and drank a bottle of wine. <laughs> not because i hate it because i actually am loving the shit out of my new job um but it is a bit of a mind fuck like 
there's it's a whole so new much thing to learn and take on. It and... is, it is, and it's and it's like it's finance, which I'm I that's what my background is, but still, it's a whole different niche of finance that I haven't been involved in before. So, um, and it's very hectic. They they brought me in to clean shit up, and boy, <laughs> do I have a big job to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, that'll keep you busy, and as long as you're enjoying it. Yeah. So, so my other news was resolution was about reducing my sugar intake because I drink so much sugar I don't drink sugar in my coffee I drink mockers um and I read somewhere that if you drink your coffee with almond milk you drastically reduce the calorie intake as well from the milk so I've fully converted to almond milk which was not even difficult at all and it sits a little bit better in your guts like yeah I wouldn't mind giving it a go but there's I think no way in hell that I'd be able to convince my husband to partake in almond milk well i'd say probably most mornings like 95 percent of the time i get a coffee on my way to work like i've got a cafe that's literally just here so i just swing in it's never really that busy at the time that i'm there so but if i was making my coffee at home i don't know that i'd do almond milk in it um it's just when i go to the cafes and stuff but i do that most mornings so the, the adjustment to almond milk has been good however i'm not um reducing my sugar intake with the muckers. <laughs> You're still muckering it up. <laughs> I'm also not um, eating as healthy as I would like. Um, look, so I guess I don't really have that much exciting things to tell. I'm sure I'll have something great for next time we catch up. But um, how's your week going? What would you like to share with our audiences so this evening? My New Year's resolutions, I had three of them. It was to read more mm. overnight. How's um, that going? Well, look, that went for one night about two weeks ago. <laughs> I have to pick up the book again because remember, we still have to do that book club episode, oh, but fuck. we need to read the books. Yeah. My second one is to hopefully finish my diploma that I got my bursary for last year. All right. Yeah. So, how much progress have you made on that? Again, um, not as much <laughs> as I would like to have thought. Um, <laughs> I am reading the first module. I didn't realise, like, I've never... first module? <laughs> When's it all due by? Uh, not till October 2024. Oh, okay. But how many modules do you have to do by then? It's 12. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. So there's just a lot of reading. And for someone with my short attention span, it's like you start reading and reading and reading. There's, like, hundreds of pages of shit. Wins! <laughs> like... Can you just pop quiz me or something or show me and I'll learn? Yeah. Can you just like let me have a guess and see how far off I am and whether or not I even need to read this shit, okay? Because yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Just common sense anyway. <laughs> and then the uh, third one is I want to learn German. Oh. Reckendy Deutsch. That's ambitious. <laughs> well, I'm doing it through Duolingo. And I've at 42 days streak at this stage, every day doing my little five minute lesson. Oh, wow. Um, well, at least you've managed to keep that one going though. That's, I know. that's pretty impressive. But that's also down to my OCD about not being able to let that streak yes. go back to zero. You love a good streak, okay. Uh, the old Pokemon go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, so I've been learning that, and I can say uh, my husband is tall. Mein man ist groß. <laughs> and I can order also order I love that. wine, beer, and coffee. So I'm gonna say ein Wein, ein Bier, and und ein Kaffee. Bitte. 
<laughs> I can say Guten Morgen, Frau. Yeah. I forget the teachers' names. And um, well, you could be Frau. Yes, Guten, guten tag. tag and Guten Abend. Just good evening. Yes, and, and um, Eins, drei, five, vier, four, six, seven, up, nine, up, zen. nine, zen. That's all three years of German, of high school German got me. <laughs> Hello, goodbye, thank you, and good night. counting to five because I didn't really count to ten because I got the last five digits wrong. You, oh, you got some of them right. Um, so, yeah, so they're my New Year's resos, but also, as dear listeners would know, Vinny and I had a five-week trip into Europe over Christmas where we got to spend some serious quality time with the Irish fam which was awesome, which was great. Yes. Um, Very I, jealous. I held the stupid bitch say what flag high and proud on Christmas Day and was able to drink about five bottles of red over the course of the day. How, wow, that's 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 impressive. I've seen you on three bottles of red and it's not pretty. I know. Well, this went from 12 in the afternoon till three in the morning. So I spaced sure. it out. I spaced it sure. out. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. I'm just great to be back in the podcasting saddle again. Back in the seat. Back in the seat, I Back says. in the recording chair. So before we start our true crime, should we just do what we're going to tell the, the listeners how we're going to do true crime this season? So we had our international flair last season, which mm-hmm. was great. But we've decided we're going to do Australia as um, our first step of the, every season for true crime. And because America is just a smorgasbord of fucking interesting fucking murders that's also going to be a regular as our second tcf and then we'll feature a country in the third app yeah do you want to it tell sure us, is do you want to tell us what the third country what the special country is for this season oh fuck i forgot no you tell it's um just north of america <laughs> north of the united states mexico that's south isn't it South America? Stupid fucking bitch. <laughs> South America is also South. <laughs> <laughs> what do you go if you cross the border at the top of America? Where do you end up? Canada. Oh, yeah. Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. Hold so, on. yes, Canada's going to be our, our special featuring country this season. So, let's, um, let's get into our true crime. Are we going to, so, as per tradition... The beginning of a season will scissors paper rock a tradition yes. that we will now have done two times in a row oh did we do that last year too last um season four we did last yeah. season oh well yeah. it was last year i'll have well, you know it was last year right <laughs> you stupid bitch so it's just one for one it's not best out of three two out of three who won it last time i did <laughs> <laughs> Not that I remember. So we're going to go one, two, one. three. Okay. And then hang on, wait, let's, because I think we fucked this up last time. So we go one, two, three. And then you do it on the third shakedown. Not okay. one, All two, right. three. <laughs> All right. Okay, on the third shakedown. So one, two, and then it. Yeah. Yeah. And make sure your hands in the camera. Okay. All right. One, one two, two, three. Oh, you win. You got it. Yeah. So for those 
just listening and not watching, um, I did paper. Then and I, I did, did rock. rock. <laughs> I thought I might have sucked her out because during our testing, I did scissors. And I, I know, thought, I noticed that. And I thought, oh, he's done scissors. So he's not going to do scissors again. <laughs> Damn it. Because he's going to be like, oh, she's going to do she's gonna do the rock. But then I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do the paper. <laughs> Bitch sucked me out. I did. A, I totally a, a reverse Double psych. psych. Double, Double psych. psych. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So. On July 10th, 2001, 20-year-old Seth Gonzalez made a chilling triple O call at 11.48 p.m., horrified and distraught from the home of his murdered Vietnamese immigrant parents, Teddy and Lovia. His 18-year-old sister, Claudine, also resided in the lavish North Ride property just 20 minutes from the CBD and was included among the casualties. When the police arrived, Seth was the picture of a grieving and devastated son, orphaned from his family so suddenly, and as the investigation unfolded, the facts of how they were killed emerged. Mm. Based on, do you know about this song? Look, I did Google Seth Gonzalez, so I've seen the picture. I recognise the face, but not the details. Right, Okay. So based on the police reports, the first victim was Claudine, who was in her room studying, so she was 18, when the suspect attacked her with a baseball bat at around 4.30pm. Fucking brutal. I know, it gets way worse. And especially like family too. Yeah, it gets way worse. Yeah. Forensics would later report she was hit at least six times in the head and was strangled. The killer then stabbed her in the neck five times and in the stomach area twice. So he's an angry. So beat her around the head six times with a fucking baseball bat, strangled her and then stabbed her seven times. Jesus Christ. The second victim, Lovia, the mum, arrived home about an hour later. Okay, so the daughter was already dead. The killer waited for her by the door and attacked her before she even knew what was happening. She suffered multiple stab wounds all over her chest, abdomen, face and neck. By all accounts, the killer remained in the house and then waited for his final victim. Teddy got home from his law office around 7pm. Like his wife, he was viciously attacked and stabbed multiple times in the same areas, face, neck, and abdomen. And they say when you're attacked, like, front on like that, it's it's even more vicious, yeah, Yeah. and personal because um, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, he wanted to see their face. He wanted to see them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The fear. Um, According to the coroner's report, one particularly deep cut snapped his spinal cord. Jesus Christ. On one wall of the house, police found the words fuck off Asians spray painted in blue paint. And you can yeah. see this in the imagery too when you um, Google the crime. Okay. So when questions about his whereabouts, Seth told investigators he'd been out with friends for most of the evening. He, and his, he had got to his friend's house at around 8pm. Afterwards, they drove to Sydney, had dinner at Planet Hollywood and then played games at an arcade. After dropping his friend back home at the end of the night, he drove home. That's when he discovered the lifeless bodies of his family. Police came almost immediately and saw the blood-soaked crime scene with their own eyes. They quickly launched an investigation into the case. It was initially thought of as a hate crime because of the writing of on course. the wall, yeah. obviously. But investigators said it was inconsistent with similar cases they've encountered in the past. 
A robbery gone wrong was also considered, but nothing of value was found to be missing and there were no signs of forced entry into the house and robbers rarely ever hung around that long. So the killings had been carried out within a three-hour period. So for, so based on the times of death from the coroner after autopsies, et cetera, um, it was determined yeah. that they all died within a three-hour period. So, and, you, and you'd think if it was just um, a hate crime, you wouldn't imagine their killers sitting around for three hours waiting for the dad to come home. Exactly. So as investigations continued, Seth engaged enthusiastically with law enforcement and the media. He made TV appearance. Uh, he made TV appearances, begging the killers to come forward and confess. He loved Requ- the attention. Requesting that the police also offer a reward for information leading to their capture. At the Slane family's funeral, and you're going to love this bit, whilst delivering the eulogy in front of the mourners, he burst into song with Boys to Men and Mariah Carey's One Sweet Day. And I know you're shining down on me from heaven. Jesus Christ, what a fucking prima donna. I know, imagine that, right? Jesus. Like, seriously, yeah. what a complete psycho. I mean, to be fair, we would probably do the same thing. Great song. <laughs> <laughs> but Not also, murder our family, yeah, but burst out into song at eulogies. Yeah, 100%. Um, so shortly after, things began to take a turn for the grieving son and brother. Police discovered that Seth had asked the family accountant about the size of his inheritance just days after the murder. Oh, God. He had also reportedly been planning to make a deposit for a brand new luxury car, and he eventually moved to a new apartment in the major business district of Chatswood, so an expensive part of yeah. Sydney. All so that... he, had, he already had plans. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if you were grieving that heavily after the loss of your mum, your dad and your sister, your little sister too, um, younger sister, I mean, like, you know, you don't yeah. really move on that quick, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, I understand you wanted to get out of the house, but, yeah. Of course. Stay with or, a friend if it yeah. was a hate crime. Or family members. So all that, plus the fact that there was no other evidence of anybody else being inside the Gonzalez house, led police to believe that the killer was in front of them all along. Seth vehemently vehemently denied murdering his family. He initially stuck to his alibi of being with his friend the evening of the killings, but the timings didn't explain what he was doing between the time he left his father's office, where he worked as a paralegal at 4pm, until he met up with his friend at 8pm. So his friend obviously confirmed the alibi that he'd met up with him, but that was eight o'clock. Yes, but she, so the dad got home at seven, remember? So the dad oh, walked in okay. the door at 7 p.m. Um, yeah. And the, the sister was killed at 4.30. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, Seth said his friend texted him to say he was going to be late. So he, Seth, had stopped briefly at his home, but stayed in his car and didn't go inside. That coincided How with does that. That even makes sense. Yeah. I know. Well, because they were starting to press him, see, mm. and try to understand what he was doing during that time, because he didn't he's, have anything to confirm what he was doing during that time. He's trying to think on his feet very poorly. Exactly. Um, so it also coincided with the unexpected visit of his aunt Emily, who had popped into the house and knocked at the front door but left soon after. According to reports, Seth changed his story when witnesses came came forward saying they had seen Seth's car parked in their home's garage. Yeah. 
so his car was also spotted on the premises so he had to come up with something that explained that yeah um Seth then said he had actually left his car at home and had taken a taxi to go to a brothel in Chatswood. Afterwards, he said he went back home, picked up his car and then drove to his friend's house. At that point, police are finding it hard to believe his story. On June 13th, 2002, they arrested Seth and charged him with three counts of murder and one count of threatening product contamination. Apparently, investigators later found out that Seth's initial plan was to poison his family. They found evidence of Seth researching poison plants in his internet search history and a container in his bedroom that had previously held a possible plant poison. Throughout the trial, Seth maintained his innocence and argued through his lawyer that the evidence against him was circumstantial, but investigators presented an airtight case against the young man. Fingerprints that matched a series of product poisoning letters sent anonymously to the federal police, his internet search history showing his research into poison plants, and perhaps the most damning evidence of all, they established a clear motive for the murders. Seth was a lousy student and would likely never become the doctor or lawyer his parents Parents wanted to be. So he came from immigrant parents. They came in the 90s, the early 90s um, from Vietnam. And then, you know, his dad came, built his fortune up, ended up with his own law firm, but that happened over time. Um, So his parents... I'm assuming was pretty successful and doing yes, quite well and she so there was. was a lot of bitterness and hatred and and I think that's why she copped the brunt of it like mm. she was you know beaten and stabbed a lot more viciously although the parents were very viciously stabbed she seemed to get the worst of it yeah um his parents were threatening to take away his car and other privileges so Seth basically killed his family because he wanted the inheritance all to himself Two years later, on May 2004, in May 2004, Gonzalez was found guilty and sentenced to three life sentences without the possibility of parole. His legal team filed an appeal in 2007, but that was dismissed. In 2018 and 2019, he also filed an application for a special inquiry into the convictions, but those two were dismissed. He is now serving his terms as a maximum security inmate at Goulburn Correction Centre in Goulburn, New South Wales. In 2021, Seth made a third attempt for the court to look into his case, but that was again denied. According to a report, the court found that there was no special facts or circumstances that would justify the taking of further action. In an interview with a crime reporter, Later on, Seth said that he had convincing evidence that would prove that he was wrongly convicted. A legal team had been working on his case for over a decade and had been going through the evidence presented at his trial. Seth said that he had two major pieces of evidence that would exonerate him. The first is the spray paint used on the wall at the crime scene. Police said it matched a specimen discovered on Seth's jumper sleeve. But Seth's legal team is claiming the the paint was planted and that there were no forensic match between the two paints. The paint on the jumper sleeve may not have necessarily matched the paint on the crime scene. Right. Is what what they've been heard that what they're quoting basically Seth's legal. As their defense, yeah. But like he wouldn't have the money to really fund that defense anymore because you know how you don't get money anymore. So I wonder if he's just full of shit. Well, so I don't he, know. He I told thought, someone this. Yeah. 
I don't know. Cause I thought, like, if he had the money, he'd still be able to hire a lawyer while it was in from the it, inheritance. It all gets taken from you, Humphrey. Once you're convicted, <clears throat> once you're in jail, it's gone. Like, I think it can pass on to other messes, <laughs> other members of your family and stuff like that, which, you know, maybe you had cousins or aunts or uncles or stuff like that, but you, you certainly can't access it. Yeah. You don't, you can't, you like, you know. Get an allowance and stuff, yeah. It's at least frozen. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, the yeah. assets are frozen. Everything's frozen. So if he, if he lost his appeal so many times, you wouldn't expect that people would be jumping up and down to be like, hey, We'll come and like investigate it again for you. Like we believe you're so free. many times. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's some of the family. Yeah. Can't believe that's that it. He's done it. Yeah. And so the second point that he has is the time of death. Seth and his lawyers assert that the police got it wrong and that Seth's father may have been killed as late as 10 p.m. That would mean that Seth's alibi of being with his friends, having dinner, and having a good time in Sydney would stick. If Gonzalez was is able to prove that he was wrongly convicted, it would be one of the most sensational miscarriages of justice in recent history, is what the crime reporter um, is on record as saying. Um, although there's no hard timeline, the crime reporter says that Seth is optimistic that he will be out of prison in six <laughs> to eight months. <laughs> Keep wishing, Seth. Sorry, the crime report was uploaded in September 2021. So far, there's been no word on whether the scales of justice would tip in Seth's favour. And what are we now? February 2023. And yeah. he's still in there. <laughs> His timeline is fucked. <laughs> yeah. So, but have you seen photos of him? Yes. He yeah. looks like it like he looks like he's 10 or 12. A baby or child. Yeah. 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 No, he has that youthful skin. Yeah, I mean, Vietnamese do tend to look very, very young. Yeah. Um, they've Bastards. got very youthful complexions. And I'm they're just small. Jealous. They're small of stature. They are. Um, but, yeah, certainly it's hard to believe that that little person is, you know, responsible yeah. for the horror that he inflicted on that is, yeah. the and people funny, who warned like, him. If they were waiting three hours to kill the father and then, as he said an extra fucking two hours or whatever, if they reckon he was killed at 10, then why weren't they waiting for Seth to come home and kill him if they were that adamant about killing the whole family? Yeah, yeah. And um, generally people don't stick around for that long, certainly not people who no. then write something on Unless their fuck they're... you Asians and, you know, yeah. pose it as a hate crime. That's right? to go in, do the job, get the fuck out. The, but, I mean, the there other are... evidence... Yeah. yeah, and look, you'd think there'd be some other clues. Maybe not certainly if it was a good serial killer, like evidence, yeah. um, but certainly other factors. Yeah, yeah, totally. Other Door than just that in. one thing. Yeah, there would have had there would have been a build up to it as well. There would have been reports mm. that people were they were getting harassed or something. And also, generally, serial killers have the same mode of execution too. Yeah, you know, like they kill in a, a very similar way or a similar manner, yeah. like. And I mean, the sister, I guess, who he clearly hated, yes. was beaten to death and strangled. Because she was getting all that. the attention and he was getting chastised while she wasn't about his studies. Mm. And, and then yeah. obviously stabbed in a rage afterwards. And the parents yeah. were stabbed in a rage around their face and neck and chest. Yeah, that's personal. It's like, it's fucked up that, like, he's obviously felt fucking shithouse in his family because he's just not naturally gifted. That sucks. But the motherfucker's a psycho all the same. <laughs> I'm fucking you. <laughs> no, but, like, it's sad that, you know, he's 
I'm guessing oh, the parents course. and that were going through it, but fucking, yeah, sack. You could swing a cat and make beds, fucking, you'd hit a thousand people who have a story that, you know, is similar to that. Not saying it's any excuse, of yes. course. <laughs> oh, what a little fucker, hey? Gonzalez. All right, do you want me to get into my little case? Ed- yes, please. Eric Edgar Cook. Mm. So, nicknamed the Nightcaller and later the Netherlands Monster, Eric Edgar Cook was an Australian serial killer who terrorised the city of Perth, Western Australia, from September 1958 to August 1963. So, I thought five years. <laughs> Cook committed at least 22 violent crimes, eight of which resulted in deaths. But before we get to that, who was this little bitch? So, described as a short, slight man with dark, wavy hair and a twisted mouth, Eric Edgar Cook was born in February 1931 in Perth. They're always fugly, aren't they? Oh, yeah, this one is fugly. They're always funny-looking little fuckers. I mean, you know, there's there's like the... There's the the Ted Bundys of the world. Yes, but they're few and far between. 99% of the time they've fucking got some real, you know... Issue, facial issues on them. Well, a lot of the time, too, you know, they've been fucking knocked in the head as a child as well. face not even a mother could love. (laughs) That puts in the bayonet and sails down the river. <laughs> bayonet, bassinet. <laughs> Bayonet's oh, a fucking what are you sword. talking about? <laughs> sword on a gun. Um, yes, yeah, so they're born in 1931 in Perth. He was the eldest of three children and was also unfortunately born into an abusive family. Can I just say Perth is fucked up for murderers? Yes, there are a few fucking there's some really fucked up issues over there. It's a um it's an outback town for a capital city back in that yes. day, those days it's, especially it's a small capital city and then there's fucking just outback <laughs> on the borders of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah it was born to an abusive family his beautiful parents, beaches though beautiful beaches and quackers and quackers they got all the quacker mm-hmm. <laughs> his parents were wed based on the fact that his mum was pre- pregnant with him his, his alcoholic father would, dirty little slut i know but the alcoholic father would beat the boy often especially when eric would be defending his mother from a beating to avoid the violent bashings from his father he would hide under the house or sp- would spend the night roaming the streets in the neighborhood oh, that's a recipe for disaster isn't it his mother would also do the same oh so We'll get through the case, but like that's what his sort of thing was. He just start was... well, and also he'd just start wandering the streets when he'd kill people. So it sort oh. of started. I think that's when those behaviors started. Cook had a slight facial deformity as a result of a couple of not very successful operations on his cleft lip and palate when he was still a small child and baby. Wow. Because of this, he spoke in a mumble and became an easy target for school bullies. He also spent some of his time growing up in orphanages or or foster homes. And this mistreatment led to Cook feeling ashamed, shy and emotionally unstable. Leaving school at 14, he um, he began working to help support his family. Due to his accident proneness at work, he was hospitalised for a number of head injuries, the start of something there, which resulted in reoccurring headaches and blackouts. As he got older, he started getting involved in petty crimes, which also included vandalism and arson. He was a bit of a vindictive bitch, though, <laughs> especially at that age. 
He served time in jail for burning down a church after he didn't make their choir, which is sort of semi-understandable, I guess. <laughs> Was anyone injured? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I don't think so. I think he may have done it after hours. And so do they know it was him or did it come out after, like, much no, later? They no, know, they knew it was him at that stage. He served time in jail for it. <laughs> How long did he serve for? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> Six months. It's, um, it reminds carefully me Carefully researched the... topics, people. Carefully researched Well, look, I've, I've got all the other facts, just not that, that little bit. With, um, it's funny, though. It reminded me of the time when Vinny told me to my face that I would not get the lead in Evita. I wouldn't get Eva Perron. <laughs> As my character, I was like, wow, I'm about to burn your fucking church down, bitch. Were you trying out, <laughs> were you? No, I was just singing it at home one day and he goes, you're not going to get the lead in the beta babe. I was like, wow. To my your face. Voice is, your voice is too husky. He sent that to my face. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the time that Tyler said that I have a terrible palate when we were watching Gordon Ramsay. He was like. <laughs> you have a terrible palate. Oh, my God. I could just imagine your face. How dare you? I was. I was like, I'm outraged. I have an educated palate. Thank you. An incredibly educated palate. PhD in palate. Like this wine, it tastes like shit. (laughs) Exactly. If that ain't a palate, I don't know what is. (laughs) The crimes would start getting more bold. Though burning down a church is pretty bold, but he would start to sneak into houses and steal whatever he found valuable. These crimes escalated to damaging clothing and furniture and acts of vengeance. And as an attempt to win friends, he would boast to people about his crimes by showing the newspaper cutouts that he'd taken of the crimes he'd committed. So this was all while he was just roaming the streets and getting away from his abusive dad. He does time in prison for committing these crimes. And after release, after his release, he joins the army where he learns how to handle firearms. Oh, my God. He was dismissed shortly after joining, though, because of his criminal history, please. <laughs> they didn't have computers in those days, so they had to wait for it to come out. <laughs> for the police reference to come through. But, had, but now he knows how to use a gun, so that was worth it. At age 22, he marries a 19-year-old waitress. With his cleft lip and all. With his cleft lip and all. Look, I'm not being judgmental, but... She was more of a Monet herself. Probably looked good from afar, but the closer he got, it was like, whoa. <laughs> and they ultimately had a large family of seven children. As you do in those days. He Look, every sperm is sacred. He, commi- <laughs> he keeps committing crimes, mainly car theft, and it was the 50s and 60s, so people were a bit more laxy about locking their cars. <laughs> he gets caught again and has to do hard labour. But after he's released this time, he starts using gloves whilst committing crimes. So we now have a, and we now have a hardened criminal who knows how to use a gun and also wear gloves. Then almost out of nowhere, and while still living a family life, Eric Edgar Cook escalated from break-ins and thefts to brutal and merciless killings. He had no set MO, killing seemingly at random, and his ways of snuffing out of his victims varied. His bizarre killing spree involved numerous hit and runs, bloody stabbings, stranglings, and shootings, and left Perth utterly terrorized by an unknown maniac. 
Well, you completely just debunked my theory before about Seth Gonzalez because the murders of a serial killer who sticks around generally are typecast and similar. (laughs) Well, I think that this guy is just... Thanks, um, Edgar Cook. (laughs) Look, in most cases they are. Cook's behaviour was strange and inconsistent for a killer, which threw the police off the scent, although it remains unknown if this was intentional. So it was hard for them to create a profile of him. Plus, he did wear gloves to shoot the bench. Mm. (laughs) The shootings that Cook carried out were executed with several different rifles. When he murdered up close, he varied his weapons. Some victims were stabbed with knives or scissors, where others were brutally swung out with an axe. And as the bodies piled up, it seemed that Cook's depravity was only climbing. One evening, he knocked on a random door and shot the homeowner when they answered. Another time, he killed his innocent victims after they woke up while he was burglarizing their home. On another occasion, he broke into a property and shot a couple as they slept, leaving their home and belongings intact. He reportedly took the time after that killing to relax with a glass of lemonade after slaughtering one early victim and his depravity was steadily escalating. Not a beer? No, just lemonade, please. I'm off the booze. It's a New Year's resolution. (laughs) I said I'd have my sugar, my mockers and my lemonades, but no booze. (laughs) One evening, Cook even descended into necrophilia. Emerging from the shadows, he broke into a woman's house with the intent of killing her. After sneaking up on the vulnerable woman, he pulled the the cord from her bedside lamp, wrapped it firmly around her neck, holding it tightly until she dies. Satisfied she was dead, but still lustful for wickedness, he raped his victim's lifeless body. But he wasn't done just yet. He dragged the woman to a neighbour's lawn, where he then violates her with an empty whiskey bottle. He even tucked the bottle into the woman's hand as if she had somehow died in a drunken incident. So it's a pretty messed up individual. And And then some. And it's just hard to believe that this is going on little old Perth back then. (laughs) As the crimes were opportunistic, (laughs) as the crimes were opportunistic using various methods and Cook's victims shared no obvious common traits, it was not understood that all these crimes were being perpetrated by the one individual. Plus, he was wearing gloves. Two of the murders, <laughs> two of the murders, the deaths of Dainty little white cotton gloves. <laughs> it's like, ah, it's going to get you. <laughs> like the ones you put on when you put on the boxing mitts, you know, those little cloth gloves yes, that, yeah. that come to like, you know, like Mickey Mouse hands. Yeah, or when you're cleaning glasses or something, yeah. That's more my style. <laughs> Boxing mitts. <laughs> Two of the murders, the death of Jill, Gillian Brewer and Rosemary Anderson, were actually attributed to other men who ended up being wrong, wrongfully com- convicted for those crimes. But oh. I'll get to that. During the investigation of all this shit, a rifle was found in Geraldton, in a Geraldton wax bush on a street in Mount Pleasant. So a Geraldton wax bush is obviously the bush. Um, which is <laughs> on a street in Mount Pleasant, which is oh. a suburb in Perth. I mean, duh. In 1963, ballistic tests proved that the gun had been used in one of the murders. Police returned to the location, and this is where they get a little smart, considering it's the 60s, and they tied a similar rifle that wasn't able to be operated to a bush with fishing line <laughs> and constructed a hideout in which they waited in case someone returned for it. 
Cook was noted loitering in a car in the area several times and was apprehended when he tried to collect the weapon just after midnight. So he's going to get it, but he can't get it because it's tied with the fishing line. <laughs> Jinxies. <laughs> they, they interrogate it and he denies it all, but cracks after one of the detectives snaps at him. Cookie, you're going to hang, you know? There's no doubt about it. You've got a wife and kids. Think of them and think, then think about whether you're going to be dragged to the gallows like a mongrel dog or you're going to go there like a man. What year was this? 63. They, they said it's still hanging 63, did they? Yeah, yeah. In West WA, they did. He then, he then began confessing to his many crimes, including eight murders and 14 attempted murders. He demonstrated an exceptionally good memory for the details of his crimes, irrespective of how long ago he'd committed the offence. He actually confessed to more than 250 burglaries and was able to detail exactly what he took, including the number and denomination of the coins he had stolen from each location. Um, but yeah, who knows? Like, I mean, if they've got track of, I took 850p pence and 220p from this house. Mm. Who knows if that's actually, but anyway, he started listing off the shit. Over the two days of interrogation, he said, I have a great respect for the law, although my actions don't show this. <laughs> so as I've mentioned, two other men get wrongfully convicted of his murders. Daryl Beamish, a deaf mute, was convicted in 1961 in December of murdering Julian McPherson Brewer, of Melbourne heiress who was struck with a hatchet and stabbed with scissors in 1959. Beamish was initially sentenced to death, but the sentence was commuted to imprisonment, imprisonment and a later investigation supported by Post Newspapers, Atan, the owner of Post Newspapers, led to his conviction being overturned. Beamish's initial appeal was dismissed because the court did not believe Cook's evidence. So even though Cook's confessed to it at the time, mm. his, uh, his appeal was dismissed because they didn't believe that Cook had done it. The prosecution claimed, yeah, it's stupid. The prosecution claimed that Cook's confessions were an attempt to prolong his own trial and the then Chief Justice of Western Australia called Cook a villainous, unscrupulous liar. So despite his confession in 63, Beamish served 15 years in prison. So another 11 years after the confession. The other guy... Oh, my God. The other guy, John Button, was wrong wrongfully convicted for the death of his girlfriend, Rosemary Anderson, who died, died in Royal Perth Hospital in the early morning of 10 February 63. Anderson had spent the previous day with Button, so the girl who died spent the yeah. previous day with her boyfriend in celebration of his 19th birthday. They had a minor argument at his home that night, which culminated in her deciding to leave the Button house and walk home. Button followed her in his car at different stages, attempting to have her accept a lift home. At one stage, Button parked his car to smoke a cigarette. Upon resuming driving, he turned into a street and discovered her lying on the ground beside the road. John Button took his injured girlfriend to a local doctor and she was subsequently transferred to the hospital by an ambulance. The police became involved and interviewed Button, who, after intense questioning and upon receiving notice of Anderson's death, broke down and confessed to being responsible for her hit and run. 
So he was saying basically, yes, it's my fault she's dead because they had the argument. She went walking. She wouldn't have been walking. Yeah. She didn't get in the car. I should have got it. So after conviction for manslaughter, the courts dismissed Button's initial appeal, even though Cook had by this time confessed to the crime and provided details that the only culprit, that only the culprit could have known. In particular, the judges did not believe Cook's claim that Anderson's body was thrown over the roof of a Holden EK sedan without damaging its external window sun visor, as Cook had claimed. So over subsequent decades, Button and his supporters continued to press for a retrial, a campaign that included a simulated reenactment of Anderson's death was conducted by crash test experts, with both the Holden and Aussie car brand matching one believed to have been used by Cook on the night in question, and three sedans like the car that Button owned, which were driven towards the crash test dummy. The dummy was thrown over the roof of the Holden, as Cook had claimed, and the damage sustained matched the records of a panel beating business that had repaired the vehicle driven by Cook. The experts found that the sun visor flexed when hit by a body and returned to its original shape without cracking the paint. An expert was even brought in from the United States to prove Cook's car, not Button's car, hit Anderson. So while Button was sentenced to 10 years and ended up serving five, in 2002, the Court of Criminal Criminal Appeal quashed Button's conviction. So he didn't stay in jail the whole time they were fighting the conviction. He was just fighting for his free name, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like the other guy who did 15 years. Yeah, a deaf mute, poor fucker. Button's success opened the way for an appeal by Beamish, the deaf mute, who was acquitted in 2005. In both cases, the appeal judges found that the murders had most likely been committed by Crook, and Beamish was granted a 425,000 ex gratia payment by the You said 2005. He was acquitted in 2005. Yeah, Yeah, he was. So, like, that means acquitted of the charges. So he did it. Oh, so he was released before, after 15 years. He was released before, but his name was freed. In that time, so it was a God. He would have been deal. close to being dead by then, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was probably twenty in the sixties, so <laughs> maybe not. But close. But close, yeah. I mean, sixty-five. <laughs> but Beamish, <laughs> the, the deaf mute, was granted four hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars ex gratia payment by the WA for his wrongful conviction. He was in jail for fifteen years, and that's all he got. I know, fuck it, so. So during the trial, Cook pleaded not guilty on the grounds of insanity. Cook's lawyers claimed that he had schizophrenia, but this was dismissed after the director of the state mental health services testified that he was actually sane. The state would not allow independent psychiatric specialists to examine Cook, and Cook was convicted of willful murder on 28th November 1963. So there was just obviously a really dodgy fucking period of Western Australian fucking... um, law to attorney generals and all that shit you know well politics. do you know what it reminds me of um is because it was the 70s remember with the bernie murders and do you remember mm. when that girl got out of the window yeah and, and they she didn't went, believe her and they didn't believe her because she yeah. didn't have any pants on they were like oh you dirty slut, slut. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible isn't it so like the guy confesses the, the what was it i can't remember the title the fucking judge or whatever wouldn't go back on the fact that no nah, i found and i've got these killers and they're the ones even though someone's confessed and provided details and do you remember the other thing about that case was that there was two other murders that the family strongly suspected that the bernies were involved in or at least he was involved in but they never 
like attached and it, it never attached it. And remember you questioned me about that. And I said, look, I think it was the, it was a timing thing. Like it was back in the day where they just didn't have the resources to give a fuck. Yeah. Or they've um, already solved that case. Well, they never, they were both unsolved and the bodies were oh, never right. found of Bless. both women. Yeah. Bless. And, but that's the same. I think even with this, like Cook's Because that was WA too. Yeah. But Cook's obviously got some fucking mental health issues, right? Oh, of course. Like the way but he's that killing. Excuse, like I'm not saying no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. Like I mean, obviously the killings, and as you said, they're not a systematic fucking thing. Like I'm gonna kill all fucking brown-haired women that remind me of my mother by stabbing him in the face. He's just randomly killing these fucking people. Mm. But he's with um, no rhyme or reason. With no rhyme or reason, he he should have probably been not guilty on the grounds of insanity he would have been locked up and put into a mental home of course mm. but the, um but they dismissed the claims after the director of the state mental health services testified he was saying and they wouldn't allow any independent psychiatric specialists to examine it mm. so it's just fucking cover-ups anyway cook was convicted of willful murder and after a three-day trial by jury in the supreme court of western australia he was sentenced to death by hanging and despite having grounds to appeal, he ordered his lawyers not to apply, claiming he deserved to pay for what he'd done. After 13 months... I know, what a guy. After 13 months, Cook was hanged on the 26th of October in 1964 in Fremantle Prison. Ten minutes before the sentence was carried out, Cook swore on the Bible that he had killed Brewer and Anderson, claims which he had previously rejected because other people had been already convicted of those murders. So even after swearing on the Bible 10 minutes before he was about to get hung, they still wouldn't believe him. Cook was the last person to be hanged in the state of Western Australia. He was buried in Fremantle Cemetery after the remains of child killer Martha Rendell, who was hanged in Fremantle Prison in 1909. So that could be a good one to do too, Martha Mm. Rendell. Every year, a lady visits death row and and the cell of um, Cook with flowers, which she lays down in memory of the last man to hang in WA, her father. To her, she just remembers him as a dad. Crazy, eh? There's also a mini-series of it um, all on Stan called After the Night. I think it's three or five episodes or something, and it goes into all the details and the twists Mm. and turns that this case has, including the um, people falsely accused and their fight for justice. So if you're interested in more details, totes recommend that watch. After the night, it gives you so much more intel um, and also the perils that his wife goes through after his conviction. You know, she was all she was a mother, a housewife, raising seven kids. It yeah. was her income. Like, her life just um, fucking went to shit afterwards as well. And there's always mm. those other sides you just don't mm. think of. Yeah, you totally. Know, you just sort of hate the killer, obviously, and with good reason, but... Just don't know about the other effects that they're doing. So they're not just killing and destroying other families; they're destroying their own. Mm. So yeah, that's um, that's Eric had to get cook or cookie, if you will. Cookie, <laughs> you'll hang, cookie, you'll hang. You gotta hang, cookie. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our murderous episode. Tune in next week as we dive back into the world of pop culture. Woo, your favourite. My favourite. It's fucking good to be back, people. So make sure to tell your friends that stupid bitches say what is back on the pod box and raring to rip into another season of drunken hilarity. And some truth learnings, please. 
Good night, you stupid bitches. She could have been about a breath then, did she, when you were oh, look, saying that? I, I didn't punctuate that sentence. So when you I'm reading it, it was. You lay like... off the baits, mate. Hello, this is no fucking hilarity. Good night, stupid bitches. Good night. I can never find how to stop the recording. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that stupid bitch. Mm-hmm. He's a stupid bitch. What a stupid bitch. That stupid bitch.